And Father, as we open your word together this morning, please send your Holy Spirit, our teacher, our comforter, our advocate, our guide. Would he fire our hearts with love for our Lord Jesus, um, shine light into the dark places where sin hides and where um, we are reluctant to obey. And please transform us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today we're uh, still in our series in the Gospel of John. And we've arrived at chapter 14, and today we're going to talk about comfort. Comfort. Um, So in John 14, Jesus has arrived at the last night of his life, before the terrible ordeal of his crucifixion. And as the hours tick down to his own great agony, Jesus' thoughts, we find, are not for himself and his own problems. They are for his disciples. He's wondering, how are they going to feel when he leaves them behind? And what can he do in these final hours to comfort them? It's amazing love. And that's what John 14 is primarily about. It's about comforting the disciples. And uh, we're going to find today that the very same comfort that Jesus offered them is now offered to us. So I wonder, does anyone in this room need comfort today? Does anybody here need to be comforted? Have you had a bad week? Are you struggling? Did you get bad news? I overheard a conversation today where somebody said they almost died this week. Um, Are you having a bad month full of anxiety about all the death and hatred in the world right now? Or is this really just another bad year, stuck in the same prison that you've been in for ages? Does anybody here need to be comforted today, because that's what we're going to talk about. Um, And it's my hope and prayer that you will be comforted right here and now, both by what Jesus has to say and by what the Holy Spirit has to offer us all today. I believe it is the Lord's will for us today to be comforted as it was for his disciples then. Um, I want to explain exactly what I mean by comfort by telling you a little story. So a few months ago, I was at a meeting of the Levy Park Missional Community. We were having a cookout in one of the backyards here in the neighborhood, and a bunch of neighbors came, including several small children. So we set up cornhole in the backyard. And uh, Brian and Hope's son, David, was playing with Sally and Wilhelm's son, Crispin. Both little boys were not yet three years old. So they were standing just about six inches from the cornhole board, and throwing beanbags into the hole, and laughing and having a great time. Hope and I were watching them and retrieving all the stray beanbags. Um, And our cornhole set had four red beanbags and four blue beanbags. And of course, both the boys wanted to throw the red beanbags. So uh, Hope set up a system where they would take turns. One boy threw red, and the other boy threw blue, and then they got to switch colors. And this worked just fine for a while. Until it came David's turn to throw red, but Crispin really thought that it was his turn to throw red. So he snatched up a red beanbag and he held on to it, and they got into a tug of war over it. And the parents intervened, and they gently took the red beanbag from Crispin's hand and gave it to David and assured Crispin that it was his turn next, and they tried to restore peace. And little Crispin stood there for a few seconds with blue beanbags in his hands. And then his face just crumpled, and he burst into tears that would break your heart. 
Whereupon Hope reached out and took him into her arms and held him. I don't think she said anything. She just held him. And Crispin turned his head and put it on her shoulder, and slowly the tears stopped. And a little later, his breathing calmed down. And then he just stayed there. He kind of settled in. It must have been 15 or 20 minutes in the same position until the time came when he was ready to go back to the game, which he then did with laughter and enthusiasm. And who knows what else was going on that day for Crispin beyond just blue beanbags. Maybe he'd had a really bad night or was seeing less of his mom due to the arrival of his new sister or a hundred other potential disappointments. But whatever it was, that hug seemed to fix it all. And that's the image I want us to keep in our minds when we talk about comfort. We all of us needed to be comforted routinely when we were children. We found some adult in our lives, a parent or a grandparent or some guardian, who was able to fix it in that kind of way, and we needed to be comforted. And all of us, I believe, as adults, still need to be comforted now. So here are some observations about comfort from watching Hope and Crispin. Number one, comfort is relational. It's a profound interpersonal exchange that doesn't even need words. Number two, it can be effective whether or not there's any change in our material circumstances. The pre presenting problem may or may not be fixed, and you might still find yourself comforted. Number three, the immediate effect of comfort is peace a settling and a calming of anxieties, which produces the ability to rest. And then number four, the lasting effect on a person who is comforted is that they can return to life with joy. So I ask you again, do you need to be comforted? Does your heart lack peace or rest or hope or joy? Let's open our Bibles together. Page 901, and let's explore what Jesus has to say in John chapter 14. Page 901, John 14. So here Jesus has a whole lot to say about comfort. And we find here that first, our comfort comes from God with us. Second, our comfort depends on the truth. And then third, comfort is only to be found along the way of Jesus. So let's explore these ideas. Uh, first of all, our comfort comes from God with us. I want to jump right into the middle of this uh, passage, chapter 14. Jump in at verse 18. And you'll see there that Jesus tells them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. These are some very profound and moving words. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. There's a huge amount of emotional freight in that sentence, isn't there? He says, I will not leave you as orphans. Now, remember that Jesus and his disciples had only known each other for about three years by this point. He was not their parent, nor any kind of family to them. And yet Jesus expected that his departure from his disciples would leave them feeling like orphans feeling like the key relationship of their lives, the security and the identity-defining relationship was gone from their lives. <clears throat> Some English Bibles translate this sentence, I will not leave you comfortless. As if Jesus expected that with himself out of the picture, they would have no other comfort in the world. <clears throat> and that is indeed the case, isn't it? 
That's true to everything John writes in this chapter. Jesus has quickly become their first love and their only hope in the world. And so the only remedy is what he says in the second half of verse 18. I will come to you. So Jesus is going away, but he must come back. Without the ongoing presence of Jesus himself in their lives, they would indeed be left as orphans. They would indeed be left comfortless. And I wonder, do you feel that way in your own heart? That knowing Jesus and having him with you is the chief joy and comfort of your life. The one thing you could not possibly do without. Because that's the way Jesus expected his followers to feel. And it's the way his first disciples did feel. Once we taste communion with the real Jesus, he becomes the key relationship of our lives that we can never again possibly do without. Take the world, but leave me, Jesus. How precious then are the repeated promises of John 14, like verse 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. That great promise is fulfilled by the Holy Spirit, by the gift of the Holy Spirit. As Jesus explains here in verses 16 and again in 26. So then, a vital part of our discipleship is that the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Holy Trinity, comes to live inside us. And he mediates to us the real presence of Jesus and of the Father too. Jesus says we will make our home with him. So we find here that the promise in verse 18, where Jesus says, I will come to you, is not fulfilled primarily in Jesus' resurrection when he comes back to them from the dead. Nor is it fulfilled in his second coming when he physically returns in his body to the earth. He intends to fulfill that promise much sooner than that through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So, therefore, the first ingredient of God's comfort to us and the most important ingredient is his own presence. And it is here with us now. It is something that all followers of Jesus have now. And that reality should be producing real comfort in us. As we read through the New Testament, we find that the evidence that it puts forward that you are a child of God, a true disciple of Jesus, is that you have the Holy Spirit living within you right now. That's the evidence the New Testament gives that you are saved. Paul calls the Holy Spirit a down payment of what is to come, and you should know him. He makes himself known within you, chiefly by testifying with your own spirit that you belong to the Father, because by the Holy Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. So we know the Holy Spirit personally, and he himself is our comforter. That's the name that Jesus gives him in verse 16. Jesus says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. And that word in Greek is parakletos. Uh, You might have heard the Holy Spirit called the Holy holy Paraclete. Uh, It's a rich word that means advocate or counselor, and several English Bibles translate it comforter, another comforter, a comforter like Jesus. So Jesus expects his gift of the Holy Spirit to be effective in our hearts at producing comfort. As he says in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. 
So he means that while the storms of life will continue to rage, we are promised peace within those storms through this gift of the Holy Spirit. It is not as the world gives, which means solving all the problems. It's a different kind of peace that comes within the problem. So I wonder, is that working for you? Do you understand what I'm talking about when I preach comfort and peace? Can you go into the place of prayer and find there the real presence of God with you, like a spiritual hug that can actually bring peace and calm you down? I'm not talking about mindfulness. I don't mean an attitude of gratitude. It's not a yoga-like trance that slows down your breathing and calms you down. And I don't even really mean the raw application of biblical truth to a painful situation. I'm talking about a person, a personal interaction, the experience of being with God, the real, the living God, folding you up in his arms and wordlessly assuring you that all is well. It's not optional in the Christian life. The Christian life needs this. You need this to keep going. If you don't have the comfort of God, don't go on without it. It is your peace and your joy and your witness to the world. And if you've never prayed to receive the Holy Spirit or had hands laid on you, then come and do that today. Come and receive him today. You can do it at prayer ministry. During communion, I've prepared Naomi and her team for an influx. Um, or if you sense that you need more of the Spirit's work in your heart and life, come and pray for that too, because that is vital to our life with God. Now let's talk about truth, because second, our comfort depends on truth. Look at the title that Jesus gives to the Holy Spirit in verse 17. Verse 17, he's called the Spirit of Truth. And then look what Jesus says he does in verse 26, Jesus says, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So we see right as the Holy Spirit is introduced to us that a major work that he's going to do is truth-telling and teaching. Now, if you have come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for your sins and was raised to life again, then that is the work of the Holy Spirit within you. Nobody else can possibly convince you or teach you of these things. So if you believe them, then you have already met the Holy Spirit, and he has already done work in you. Belief in the truth are a direct experience of God. And believers then continue to experience the Holy Spirit every time we open the pages of Scripture. We find that we understand the Bible because we have a teacher, a teacher who was in fact the very author of these words. And the words of Scripture come alive to us, they excite us, they move us, and they change us. So that we say with King David, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light upon my path. It is more precious to me than much pure gold. It is sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. And when I think of your rules from of old, I take comfort, O Lord. The Holy Spirit will not come to a person without teaching him the truth. And there is no other teacher of truth. So then, a belief in the truth and a love of God's word, especially his word about his son Jesus, is sure evidence of the Holy Spirit alive within you. 
Sometimes this might be the main evidence. Maybe you don't have strong spiritual feelings or supernatural gifts, but you have a fire of passion for the Word of God. That fire comes from the Holy Spirit. And the truth that we believe is its own form of comfort. I want us to acknowledge that in our attempts to comfort ourselves, we quite often abandon truth, or at least sideline it a little bit. Think about it. What do we do when we are hurting? Maybe we try to convince ourselves that what we're facing is not that bad, or that it won't last long, or that it will get better soon, some form of wishful thinking. Next, we might make a plan to fix it ourselves and make it better. What am I going to do about this? Which actually derives from a false belief in human autonomy and individualism. So we're thinking that we can fix it ourselves. By now, we usually have some serious defensiveness and self-justification going on. We say, why me? I don't deserve this. Messages that are out of step with biblical truth. As the pain persists, we might go in for distractions like music, movies, books, TV shows, video games, social media, anything so that we can stop thinking about it for a while. Or maybe it's social distractions, drinking, dancing, joking around at parties, all in an attempt to pretend that we're happy and okay when we're not okay. And failing that, then we get angry. Then we find someone to blame, we vilify and dehumanize other people, and take to social media or to the streets to shout them down. This is the typical menu of human attempts at self-comfort. And notice that a common theme of them is that they deny the truth. None of them accords with truth. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's not going to have anything to do with these man-made solutions that deny truth. While we deny truth, he's going to deny comfort. And what our grief really needs is to be comforted. So then, what are we going to do? As I stand here as a person in pain, I have choices. I can be, on the one hand, distraught, stuck in a place where I'm upset, unhappy, and unable to move forward. Or, on the other hand, I can be distracted, seemingly fine and happy, when really I'm just in some form of denial. But against those options of being either distraught or distracted, Jesus invites his followers to come and be comforted. The person who is comforted is not afraid of their pain, even if it's still ongoing, not afraid to talk about it, not crushed by it. Because of that, he or she can also enter into other people's pain without getting freaked out or angry. For comforted people, the truth is their friend, so they welcome what's true and gently reject what is false or angry or hateful or self-justifying. So boy, does this world need more comforted people right now. And I call upon the family of God to come and receive the Father's comfort. The simple truth of our gospel is such a very comforting truth. Here's what we believe, friends. We believe that we are made by God, carefully and deliberately crafted by an expert designer in his own image, and are therefore intrinsically valuable and dignified with a hardwired pattern and purpose for our existence. Do not say that you do not matter. We believe that we are loved with an everlasting love that cannot be sinned away, so we have the courage to frankly acknowledge our many sins and our failings within the security that God's love is eternal and all can be forgiven. We know that we have been forgiven by a historical act of self-death-defying love and adopted as God's own children. 
Our Savior is now king over heaven and earth. All things belong to him. Nothing lies outside of his knowledge or power. No, not even the war between Israel and Gaza. He summons all the world to be one under his headship. He hastens all things toward their final end of peace. And nothing can stand in the way of his promises. Neither will any wickedness escape his righteous judgment. Our truth. The truth is intrinsically comforting. It is good news in every possible way. And I wonder, is there any part of this truth that you do not believe? Maybe that you cannot believe. If so, could that be why you cannot be comforted? Now, I do not have it within my power to cause you to believe, but I know the one who does. And if you are tired of lies, tired of all the false ways that you have tried and failed to comfort yourself, and ready just to fall into the arms of heaven and weep and surrender and be quieted and comforted, then I invite you too to come forward today during prayer ministry and make your prayer to God the Holy Spirit, Lord, help my unbelief. Because he is teacher. He is spirit of truth. And this is something he can do for you. Now let's finally talk about the way. Comfort is only to be found in obedience to the way of Jesus. A good way to think about obedience is as truth in practice. And just as truth was essential to our comfort, so is following the way of Jesus. Let me show you this from the text. So Jesus says in verse 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. He says again in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, similarly, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And finally, one more time in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. You can see then the same idea being repeated over and over again in this passage. And you can see just how remiss of me it would be if I tried to talk about comfort without talking about the way of Jesus. And by way, I mean the plan, the roadmap, this new way of life as contained in his word and commandments. So Rod Whitaker, our companion theologian to this sermon series, explains it like this. He says, the commands of Jesus are not just a set of rules, like a traffic code. They are a description of a pattern of life that reflects God's own life transposed into human circumstances. One obeys what one loves, Whitaker writes, and indeed our patterns of obedience reveal what we really love. I think that's extremely well said, and it says exactly what Jesus says. If you love me, you obey me. If you obey me, you love me. If you love me and obey me, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will live with you. So this is what we mean by the way of Jesus. It means love in practice, truth in practice, doing what we say, behaving in accordance with what we believe, and that's a description of integrity, being all of one piece, the opposite of hypocrisy. 
So we've seen what comfort is and what it looks like when we have it, and we've seen what it looks like when we don't have it. The difference is very obvious. I expect, like me, that you urgently need comfort, especially now as the world disintegrates around us. So, are you getting it? It is part of your gospel inheritance. Your faith and discipleship come with the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is a promise for now and not for later. The Spirit is called the Comforter, and He can and will comfort you. Your circumstances may not change, the wars and hatred in the world may not cease, and your loved ones may not be rescued. But despite all those things, you can and will be comforted within the loving embrace of God who lives in your heart, and by his truth, which is good and full of bright hope for all mankind. But not if you are refusing the way of Jesus. So I should call you to ask yourselves, if I am not comforted, if I remain comfortless, is there part of the way of Jesus that I am refusing? Is there an area of my life over which I will not let him be Lord? Because if so, that will cost me my comfort. And that should be the next thing I deal with. Now, of course, I don't want to bully you. Far from it. I should be the last person to tell you what you're doing wrong. But we have a teacher who convicts our hearts, even the Holy Spirit of God. His fingers are gentle to tease out the problems, and I merely ask that we let him. His conviction brings no condemnation, but instead leads us to repentance. So if you have been going the wrong way, then turn around, friend. Start fresh today. And if you discover that's the case for you, then I invite you too to make use of prayer ministry time during communion and come forward and pray in repentance. You'll find no judgment for that here. We've all gone wrong and turned around more times than we can count. So in sum, I long for all of us today that we would receive the comfort of God in this service and on into this week. We'll know when we've received it, just like you always know when you really have a fish on the end of your fishing line. <laughs> um, so my brother-in-law, Peter, is a great fisherman, and he's taken me with him several times. I'm pretty clueless. And I stand there holding the fishing pole and getting all these false positives. Was that a fish? No, it was just a wave. Was that a fish? No, that was just the wind. Uh, my first few times, I repeatedly reeled in my line with nothing on it but seaweed. But then, when a fish comes, you really know it, don't you? Nobody asks then, not even a novice. There's a tugging on the end of the line. Is something alive there? There's no mistaking it. And so it is when we've encountered the living God. There's life on the other end of the line. There are no false positives, but there are plenty of false negatives while we wait for it to happen. So if you're wondering, then you're still waiting. We'll know when we've received the comfort of God. And no condemnation if you know that you need it but are having trouble finding it. I'm not saying it always happens automatically. And maybe you're already a person of the truth, a disciple of the way, who has asked repeatedly and not found heaven's comfort. I want to comfort you by saying that other great saints have had that same story. They've given it a name. They call it the dark night of the soul. When it comes, it usually comes long into our Christian walk, after we have tasted and seen for ourselves that the Lord is good, and after we've known his comfort personally. The saints think that perhaps God denies us his comfort for a season once we are going strong to stretch our character, deepen our roots, and strengthen our resolve. 
and they say it doesn't last forever, and we are never left as orphans. If you are struggling to find the Lord's comfort, I do invite you just to ask again today. Come and be prayed for and ask him again. Today may be the day when you are comforted. And if nothing else works, let me, as I close, at least encourage you with the simple beauty and majesty of our Lord Jesus as we serve him. May his dignity make you strong again. I want to share with you these fine words that come from Welsh New Testament scholar C.H. Dodd, who said, Jesus was much more than one individual among many. He was the true self of the human race. Standing in the perfect union with God to which others can attain only as they are incorporate in him. The mind whose thought is truth absolute, which other men merely think after him. The true life of man, which other men live by sharing it with him. This is Jesus our Lord, and that such a man should exist and should set his love on us is a great comfort. Amen.